first, um, I want to introduce our, our uh, guest preacher today. It's not me, because that would be weird if I introduced myself. Um, however, our guest preacher is, um, well, you don't want me to call you pastor, but I am. Pastor Tom Adams. Uh, he was uh, one of my pastors in high school. Um, he has been very encouraging to me, even past the time when I went to his church. When, I, when me and Becca have had particularly low points, he has been a source of encouragement uh, to me. And so I'm really thankful that he's here to share God's word with us today. And I'm excited to see what, what the Lord has to say. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. It's going to be on the screen, Acts chapter 9. All right, hear the word of the Lord from Acts 9, verse 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed in the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Does that work now? Great. I got bad news. I broke it. Yep. Well, we can fix it. I've broken many of them, unfortunately. Ah. Hey, I want to tell you how much I appreciate everybody here. Uh, this is my third trip to reconcile. And what I see is absolutely amazing. I see family. I see love. I can remember the first time I came here, and what impressed me the most was the volume before church and after church of people just like hanging around, turning around in their pews and talking to each other and laughing and joking like family does. And I just love that so much, the spirit of unity. And I also love Will's vision for this place. I think it's fantastic. I love your pastor. He's a great man. And I'm just delighted to be here. But I'd like to pray one more time, if we could, over what's about to happen and for me. So I'm going to say, Father God, I love you. I praise you. I exalt you. I lift up your holy name. It's for your glory that we are gathered together today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and, and with your manifest presence and love and grace, reveal Jesus, glorify the Father. And for me, that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth are pleasing in your sight, my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen. This is a, a great, great story that Will just read to us. There's lots of uh, great, great stories in the Bible, but sometimes we need to, to look uh, just a little bit deeper uh, to see what happens. This guy saw very nasty man. You get pictures of him taking Christian women by the hair and dragging them out of their home and throwing them in chains for loving Jesus, for being like you. You just... He uh, led an amazing life, Saul. You know, Saul is his Jewish name, right? And you know his Greek name, Paulus. And we call him Paul. So when I say Saul and Paul, we know we're talking about the same guy. Saul at this time was probably 28 or 29 years old. He was born in Tarsus, a Roman city. And his parents had Roman citizenship. And by birth, he became a Roman citizen, which is pretty unique for a Jew to be a Roman citizen. About the age of 12, he went to Jerusalem. And there he was to be a mentee to the rabbi Gamaliel, probably the greatest of all Jewish rabbis. He... Uh, because he was apprenticed to Gamaliel, 
He was well-trained in all the scriptures. He knew all the scriptures about Jesus. He knew all the scriptures. He knew Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. He knew Psalm 22 about the crucifixion. He knew all these scriptures. He was in Jerusalem for the entire time of Jesus' ministry. If he hadn't heard Jesus, he heard about him. If he hadn't seen the miracles, he's heard about the miracles. As a mentee to Gamaliel, he had access to the highest circles of the religious authorities. And he heard their talks about this, this, this itinerant backwoods rabbi from Galilee. Saul was immersed in the Pharisees' teaching. And the fear that Jesus would lead a revolt against the Romans and cause the Romans to clamp down on, the, on both the leadership and the people of Israel. Saul was at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the original deacons in the church. Scripture says that he was a man full of grace, full of God's grace, full of his power. He performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, men started to debate with him, and he confounded them and confused them, and they couldn't beat him in a debate over the Scriptures. No one could stand against him, the Bible says. Some men then began to lie about Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, all the leaders. And as Stephen there testified about Jesus to a way that they couldn't even respond, his face began to glow like an angel. Our friend Saul saw this. As in anger, the the leaders grabbed Stephen and ran him out of town. He wasn't worthy to be killed inside the city. They ran him outside of the city and they began to stone him. And in scripture says that the cloaks were laid at Stephen's feet. He was in charge of the cloaks that these guys had to drop so that they could throw stones at Stephen, which means he was an officer in the Sanhedrin. He was well respected there. Shortly after that, he went before the high priest and he requested a letter, permission to begin his savagery against Christians in Damascus. And as he walked to Damascus six days, I don't know why anybody would want to walk six days to begin with. As he walked to Damascus and just as he was approaching Damascus, this incident that we just read about hurt and happened. What happened there to me is a physical manifestation of Paul's spiritual condition. You see, Paul was spiritually blind. He had seen everything. He knew everything. He knew the Bible inside and out. He saw, he heard of the miracles of Jesus. He saw them and heard the miracles of Stephen and the other disciples. He saw the changed lives of people, but nothing moved him. Nothing moved him. He was totally blind to the truth of the love of God and his amazing gift of Jesus. Jesus. 
Absolutely. So he was made physically blind as a manifestation of that. Ananias was sent with him and he brought two spiritual gifts. Scripture says he laid hands on him and decried that Jesus wanted to heal him and scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His physical condition, his physical condition was healed immediately. Are we going to have those verses or not? Can we do that? There we go. And this is the amazing thing. The last verse we read. Scripture says, and, well, it says he got up and he ate and he was baptized. And it says he'd hang out with the disciples. And he immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Immediately. He needed no training. He'd already been totally trained in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. But when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, suddenly it coalesced. Everything he knew, everything he'd seen began to make reality to him. And he went to the synagogues to share that this is the Son of God. And he frustrated those leaders so much that they wanted to kill him. And the believers had to smuggle Paul out of Damascus in a basket at night so that he wouldn't be killed. This immediate change came because the spiritual blindness was healed. Everything he knew, he could now interpret correctly and apply that to the living Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is still doing that kind of work, that very same work in us today. The part of Paul, he's like every one of us, in that in order to completely fill, fulfill the calling of Jesus on each one of us, we must have an intimate relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I want to uh, read a quote. This quote is from uh, an Anglican bishop named Todd Hunter. He says this, God's purposes in fully illuminated discipleship to Jesus require a power that matches his intentions. This is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait until you have received power from on high, meaning wait to start your ministry until you have an and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a life-changing passage and a reality for Christian ministry. We live by God's design and purpose in an age meant to be marked by an interactive relationship with the Holy Spirit. The church participates with the life of God in the world through the person and work of the Spirit. The Spirit gives authority, power, gifts, and fruit. 
whereby the church is enabled to live into its mission. We teach everyone to set aside biases and confusion about the Holy Spirit and to welcome him, his animating, energizing, equipping, and empowering presence into their lives, thus enabling the good they dream to do in the world. The Holy Spirit of the living God, his motive, his job, his purpose is to reveal Jesus to us and to empower us to bring Jesus to others in a multitude of ways. Jesus at his last supper, he knew his earthly ministry was ending. It was ending in his greatest trial and his death. But he had these guys, these 11 guys, and all their hopes and their dreams had been built around him, his life, his ministry, his calling, his future. How are they going to handle it, this change? How are they going to handle his being gone? What's going to happen? So he needs to prepare them for this shocking, shocking phase disciples, he began them by telling them he had to go away and that where he was going, they couldn't come. Disciples were confused, frustrated, angry. They didn't understand. They asked, why can't we go with you? What's up with this? Where are you going that we can't go with you? they still had it in their minds that Jesus was going to take over the government and throw out the Roman oppressors. We can, we can change that slide. Jesus, to, to calm them, he explained this. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This word another, I underlined it intentionally so that you would focus on it for just a second. This word another has the meaning of one just like the other one. You know, if your, your grandmother makes an apple pie or something and it's famous throughout your family, Every apple pie she makes is just like the other one. So when we say, Grandma's making another apple pie, we know what to expect. Here, with another, means that if you know Jesus, you know the Holy Spirit. And if you know the Holy Spirit, you know Jesus because they are just alike. This word is very important. In chapter 16 the Gospel of John, Jesus makes some mind-blowing statements. This is verse 7. He says this, In fact, it's better for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. That makes no sense to me, right? 
You walk with Jesus for three years. You base your life and your future on him. You're attached to him. You expect certain things to happen. And how can life be better apart from Jesus? If I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I banked my whole future on you. You're the Messiah. The interesting thing is, this is still for us today. This verse applies to us. We have the Holy Spirit available to us, which according to Jesus is better than walking around with Jesus because it's going to give more glory to God. It's going to spread out his ministry and you're going to do the same stuff Jesus did. It's better for Jesus to go and the Spirit to come. There's an interesting thing he told them uh, in verse 12. There's so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. You can't bear it now. This word bear means to handle, to carry, to lift, to grasp. You can't bear it now. They aren't equipped to imagine. Now listen, they've walked with Jesus for three years. They know everything he said in those three years. They know everything we can read and everything we don't read. They know about the intimate conversations by a fireside at night. They know the intimate talk along the road. They heard what he said to other people that we have no idea about. We know miracle, they know miracles he did that we don't know about, that weren't recorded. There's so much more to Jesus than just a few pages we have, and they knew it all. And there's something that he wants to teach them that they can't grasp. That's what he's saying to them. But he gives them comfort in this next verse. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. You see, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit and were therefore spiritually blind. There was stuff that Jesus wanted to convey to them and teach them that they couldn't, just like Paul, who as Saul knew all the scriptures, knew all the, the, the teachings, saw the miracles, couldn't grasp the truth about Jesus, even though they grasped the truth about Jesus, at this point in time, they are following him out of love, out of his wisdom, and because of the miracles and because of the prophecies he fulfilled. But there is not a spiritual connection between them yet. That's why after Jesus dies, and rose again, what is the first thing he did when they all gathered together? The first thing he did when they all gathered together, can you show us that one? Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped ahead. You're good. What he, I'll tell you. I thought there was a slide there. I apologize. What he did was in Acts chapter, I mean in John chapter 20, verse 21, he walked into them and he breathed on them. 
each one, all 11, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit the very first thing after he rose from the dead. Because you see, he knows he's got 40 more days. He's going to be there for 40 more days. 10 days before Pentecost, he's going to ascend to the Father. But he's got 40 days to pour spiritual truths into these men that they could never grasp without the breath and the Holy Spirit. The very first thing he does once he's ascended is give them the Holy Spirit. Now, spiritual blindness amongst the unsaved, like Paul, and the disciples at that time, right? Disciples weren't saved yet. There was no blood. There was no salvation. They, didn't, they couldn't receive the Holy Spirit. But we expect those people to not have a spiritual connection, right? That's common sense. But what about those in the church? What about Christians? People who have, who have walked the aisle and said the prayer, been baptized, can they be spiritually blind also? Paul dealt with that issue when he talked to the Corinthians. Now we need that next slide. We're going to look at six verses here. Here's the first three. The Corinthian church, well known for its immaturity, well known for the way it uh, improperly used the Holy Spirit's gifts. And Paul is going to be addressing this. This is what he says. He starts here in verse 9. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. This is from Isaiah, this quote. And Isaiah is speaking of a later day when people will experience a greater blessing of God than anybody in Isaiah's day could imagine. Nobody can begin to grasp what God is going to be doing. And that doing is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his believers that follow him. Next verse. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now, Paul is explaining again that it's the Spirit who enables us to learn. It's the Spirit who, who, who grows us up. In the next verse, no one can know. Whoop, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm used to having my own clipper. Okay. This is verse 12. Verse 11 says, no one can know. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit and the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. 
Now, this is what we've been talking about for the non-believers, right? This is what Saul needed. He needed the Spirit to understand spiritual truths. This is what the disciples needed, the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual truths. Paul is talking to brethren. The next uh, slide is, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. You can hear the words. You can understand logically, but the inability to grasp. And he calls people who aren't spiritual. And then in the next verse, in chapter 3, very first verse, he drops the hammer on them. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He calls them brethren. They're in the family of God, but they cannot speak. He cannot speak to them as spiritual men. They will not be able to grasp what God is saying. Wait a minute, they're saved, aren't they? You receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, right? That's true. So what's missing? Why can't these guys get it? The Corinthian church. I can't speak to you as a spiritual person. But as to men of flesh, what's the missing link What's the problem? Why don't these guys get it? Paul's going to explain it to us in a little bit. You see, one of the things is the Holy Spirit, like Jesus and like Father God, is a gentleman or a gentle spirit. He typically does not barge in on us. And he does not force us or compel us to do certain things generally. But we need to seek him. We need to be open to him. We need to, to, to search him out. In verses 18 and 19, Paul's going to say that they are deceiving themselves because they think they are wise by the world's standard. They seem to think they have no need of God. They have no need of the Holy Spirit. He declares to them the wisdom of the world is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. And he warns them if they continue to act in worldly fashion, they'll be trapped by their own cleverness. Especially here in America, when we have so many options to bail us out. I remember hearing Tony Evans, pastor of a community church, and uh, I believe he's outside Dallas. 
He was ministering in Nigeria. And uh, he said he was there during monsoon season. It had been raining for three days. Three days of torrential downpour, no stop. The building was supposed to hold about 5,000 people. Tony logically realized there'd been very few people there. When he got there, the building was absolutely full about a half an hour before service. And he realized that most of these people had walked there through muddy roads, some of them holding up a giant elephant ear leaf over their head to keep the rain off. Some of them had walked many, many hours to be there. And Tony turned to the host pastor and he said, I don't understand. Why are all these people here? And the pastor said, Tony, this is not America. Here we need God. You see, America, through our conventions, we have all kinds of methodologies that we can figure out in our mind to try to solve our issues and our problems. Praying for healing is not the first option of most Christians. They don't pray for healing until after the doctor has said something. Asking God to manage and bless your finances is not the first option for most Christians these days. If you get into a jam, you try to look for another job or take out a loan or get a, a, you know, a, a home equity line of credit or do something else or put money on a credit card, take another credit card, manage your way out of your money because you're smart, you're worldly smart, you know what's going on. And that's what Paul says about the Corinthians. You guys think you're worldly smart and you think your worldly wisdom is enough to get by you and these people do not stop and listen for the Holy Spirit to give God's wisdom into their situations. And that's the problem, and that's the problem I see in America. I have a problem with some things that are taught in the Christian church that are absolutely marvelous teachings, fantastic teachings. I buy into these teachings 100%. I believe that if you are saved, you are eternally saved. God is faithful. I believe that Jesus died to forgive my sins so that I can go to heaven. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. But if you believe Jesus died to save your sins so you could go to heaven and you're eternally saved, over here you're going to go to heaven, what happens in the middle? This, the middle, is where dependence upon the Holy Spirit depend, determines the quality of your life. In a spiritual sense primarily, and in a physical sense also. Between here is where love, peace, joy, patience, temperance, long-suffering reside. And that is the fruit of the Spirit which is promised to us but that we turn our backs on because I, I got a credit card here. I can put $2,000 down on that and that's only going to be so much a month. I can figure that out. No problem. I don't need God. I got a credit card. 
you wonder I think I want to go to the next verse. I'm going to skip, I think. Show me this verse. This is Paul, a little bit further on. And when I read this verse, I can almost hear tears of frustration. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Think back to the tabernacle in the wilderness that was built so that they would have a place for God to meet with man. And then there were four temples throughout the the history of Israel. Each one built so there would be a place for God to meet with man. You are that temple. You are that temple. Read about Solomon's temple and the the ordination of that temple and the Shekinah glory of God falling. You're that temple. Now you're the temple and you are where God meets man. And the plan is for God to fill you up to the point where he spills out of you. And the love of God touches people and changes their lives. Where the power of God is manifested to change situations. To heal people. To lead people to him. The power of God is contained in earthen vessels. God wants to show off. You know that? He wants people to see him, see his goodness, see his power, and understand his glory. And he wants to use you to do it. That's the plan. That's been the plan from the very beginning. That those who he has called and those who he ordained would glorify God to the fullest. That where you walk, the Spirit of God would just fill the aroma around you. John Wimber explained what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I'm going to read this to The primary focus of the Holy Spirit is to introduce us to his friend and the second part of the gospel of the Godhead, Jesus, and to help us to be changed, to become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a friend that helps us know Jesus better and to know the Bible. He causes us to do the works that Jesus prophesied we would do. And also in Ephesians, Paul writes that God has a 
plans and work for you to do that he's already prescribed. Do you know that means that there's stuff that Will will never be able to do, but that you can. I hold Will in the highest regard, but there's stuff he can't do that's been set aside by God for you to do. Just like David wanted to build the temple to God. And the prophet came and said, whoa, you can't do that. That's been set aside for your son. There's stuff that Will wants to do and God says, whoa, that's not for you. That's been set aside for... Right? You get it? He causes us to witness and to share our faith with one another. He brings to remembrance scripture and understanding. And from time to time, we speak out of those scriptures and sharing our faith. He is a companion and a friend that works with us to do the works he wants done in the world. It is he, in conjunction with the church, that continues to do the ministry of Jesus, share our faith, heal the sick, cast out demons, and even raise the dead. You are called to the highest calling to continue the works of Jesus. Love people, touch people, see people changed. See their lives begin to grow fruit. You are. It's what he set it up. That was his plan from the beginning. And the amazing thing is, this is your time. This is your time. Today is your time. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, there's a quick and easy solution. Just ask him. Jesus said, listen, if you folks being evil, this is he's talking to the Jews, if you folks being evil give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? If you notice from Paul, he didn't run around with his hair on fire. He didn't start jumping over pews or swinging from the chandelier. He got baptized and he ate. It's a very simple process. And once you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, be open and honest with him. Talk to Father God. Talk to Jesus. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to any one of them. All three of them are going to hear you. That's how close they are. And they're going to be delighted to talk back to you. Spend time in your word. How much time can vary? Sometimes it's two minutes and sometimes it's hours. But consistently be in scripture. And ask him. Ask him for anything. Ask him for everything. Talk to him. Ask him to help you and help those around you. And I'm going to tell you a secret that I learned. And it, it, it's, it's an important secret. The more sincere and the more honest you are with him, 
the more love and grace you will experience in your own life, healing, touching. Now, I know there's going to be a prayer time later. And if you'd like somebody to pray for you, I suggest you come. I suggest you come. I'll be available. Whoever Pastor Will has got lined up will be available. But there are lots of people who can sweetly walk you into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I recommend Chris and Ann. Love to walk you into a relationship. I'm going to give it back to you, Will. I just want to pray one blessing and then Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come, that you'd touch, that you'd fill, that we would glorify you, that we would glorify Jesus and reveal the love of God. I ask you for your presence to be manifold in our lives and in we do. Give us the wisdom we need to face the things we face. Bless this church, mighty God. Do a wonderful work here. Let welcome and all of Greenville County be ignited because of what you're doing here amongst these people in these days. All glory and honor to you. Amen.